I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, an artist and psychoanalyst based in Sweden who works with people internationally, and this is episode 269 of Rendering Unconscious Podcast. My guest today is Carl Abrahamson. He's presenting a lecture that he gave at a culture conference in 2022 in Berlin called Forcing the Hand of Chance, the Do-It-Yourself, a Culture of the Temple of Psychic Use, also known as Topi. You can watch a video of this lecture at the Occulture Conference's YouTube page. Links to everything can be found at renderingunconscious.org or in the liner notes accompanying this episode. Huge thanks to everyone in our Patreon community for supporting Rendering Unconscious Podcast. There are thousands of people that listen to this podcast every week. It's wonderful. I thank the listeners. I thank the guests. I thank the fans. It would be great to see some more of you at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23Carl, where we do post exclusive content every week. There are thousands of listeners of this podcast and only 83 people at our Patreon right now. And that's wonderful. We're so happy to have each and every person there. But it would be great to have a few more. You can subscribe for just $2 a month. Patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23Carl. And of course, thank you to, to uh, the organizers here for inviting me and all, inviting all the other great people and for uh, attracting all of you to, to be here because it's really amazing manifestation of a culture. Um, and as you can see, my talk will be dealing with uh, what I call the DIY or culture of the Temple of Psychic Youth. And I think most of you are uh, more or less familiar with this magical group or order that existed a while ago. Um, I will give a basic introduction also. So, the early 1980s. Uh, was a genuinely unique time for underground Western culture in general. Uh, because the punk movement with its uh, do-it-yourself or DIY ethos had left the original late 1970s burst of politically reactive naivete and instead manifested record labels, distribution networks, uh, not necessarily as ways of cashing in on the big media attention, but rather to secure manifestation and distribution of unique and very, very creative records, as well as related items such as fanzines, books, clothing, etc. And let's not forget the new music that these initial grassroots foundations spawned by simply giving creative people a chance to have their records out. It was an era of creativity, intense innovation, and of forcing quite a few old structures to crumble, at least temporarily. One of these labels was London-based Industrial Records, which was started by British artist Genesis Peorage, who we see here, and his collaborators in the radical avant-garde band Throbbing Gristle, or TG. 
Although very different in style from punk and post-punk expressions, the transgressive band and the label became quite successful, learning gradually to operate as any other or bigger label. The visibility of something so out of the ordinary, style-wise, and, and intellectually, with their industrial music, so-called, inspired a lot of people to do something similar, both in terms of starting a band or a project uh, or a label. Uh, quite simply, it was possible to be actually different. As industrial records and TG folded in 1981, the new Peorage project Psychic Television, or PTV, and the related magical group The Temple of Psychic Youth, or TOPI, arose from these ashes. And after a few initial releases on, on uh, major labels such as Warner and CBS, PTV eventually organized their own label, aptly called Temple Records. Not only would this be uh, a vehicle to sell PTV records, uh, but to an equal degree, if not more, to spread information and ideas rooted in their brand new think tank or magical order, uh, Topi. Psychic TV were originally presented as a video group which also made music, although pr the proportions eventually changed in favor of the music. And a similar kind of fluidity existed between Topi and PTV. Topi was the center around which all other activities uh, orbited or were rooted, not the band PTV. Other examples of labels with radical and more or less magical and philosophically inclined bands emanating more or less from this early 1980s core were, for instance, Threshold House, Housing Coil, United Dairies with Nurse with Wound, uh, Dertro with David Tibet's Current 93, and even Susan Lawley uh, with White House. Many of these have been written about in David Keenan's uh, great book, England's Hidden Reverse, a book which focuses mainly but not exclusively on the satellites of the industrial uh, records, TG, Topi, PTV, Cabal or Environment. And there are other interest, interesting books about this era, for instance, Simon Ford's Records of Civilization, Lars Sunderstrand's To Become Who You Are, Genesis and Mine, Sacred Intent, and of course, Genesis autobiography, which was published posthumously, non-binary. What's interesting in this entire scene is, again, the fluidity between esoteric content and causal business based in DIY, usually lovingly called cottage industries, and how they interact to not only sell records, but also to convey a message. Temple Records released a lot of records, many of which contained substantial information or references. Perhaps as a comment on this steady flow, at one point Genesis coined the slogan, the process is the product, which of course works logically the other way around. Uh, all the products and events drove the process, cross-fertilized, interbred, mutated, uh, and documented the progr progress along the way. And one good example of this was the Psychic TV LP, a real Swedish live show, part of an ambitious live concert documentation series, uh, and which will return shortly. But first, let's rewind the cassette tape of history. 
The process is the product is also the title of a 2008 autobiographical text by uh, Jen that is very substantial in its rearview mirror um, aspect. I quote, what would happen if we created a paramilitary occult organization that shared demystified magical techniques? Sleeve notes could become manifestos, a call to action and behavioral rebellion. Bit by bit, we took this daydream more seriously. We examined the process in particular for the best in cult aesthetics. We needed an ideology for those involved, levels to achieve, secrets to reveal, symbols and uniforms, regalia and internal writings. We called our experimental organization the Temple of Psychic Youth. The process being examined here refers to the Process Church of the Final Judgment, which was a British neo-gnostic Scientology spin-off that wove in distinct occult symbols and imagery as a kind of flamboyant and magical uh, psychedelic bridge between the hippies and what was to come, whatever was to come. And they had a powerful presence through very well-made publications and official uh, public events, and a philosophy that tried to transcend opposites by union, not unlike another topi source of inspiration, uh, Alistair Crowley and his magical system. At about the same time as the process flourished in London in the late 1960s, William Burroughs, uh, also situated in London, wrapped up his novel The Wild Boys, first published in 1969 which would turn out to be another important poetic piece of the puzzle. I quote from the 1992 Grove Press backside blurb, quote, The Wild Boys is a futuristic tale of global warfare in which a guerrilla gang of boys dedicated to freedom battles the organized armies of repressive police states, end quote. And the blurb of the 1973 Corgi edition states, quote, the year is 1988. Adolescent guerrilla packs of specialized humanoids are routing the forces of civilized nations and ravaging the earth. From their small beginnings in 1969 as petrol gangs, dousing their victims with petrol and setting them on fire for kicks, they have grown to an army dedicated to violence and death. When wholesale slaughter erupts, the battle continues underground, where the survivors evolve into the wild boys, hordes of uh, pitiless homosexual warriors who move in and destroy the cities until civilization collapses, revealing a future of horrifying dimensions." End quote. The psychosexual paranoia of William Burroughs and other fantastical contemporary authors like J.G. Ballard, with its focus on how to destabilize the blind control mechanism of societal authority, became a cornerstone of the Topi uh, outlook. Could these tendencies of enforced subjugation be bypassed or possibly even overcome? And if so, how? Straightforward politics was seemingly not the most constructive way in a repressive society like the UK of the 1970s and 80s. 
So this kind of drifting into a cultural sphere with its powerful allies, art and myth, seemed to make perfect sense. Then add some ultra-individualistic liberation by sexual magic and psychonautics under the umbrella of hardcore individuation and spice it up with some integration of past masters in a grassroots network. And there you have it. A kind of formula for resistance to mindless control and destruction that both gives meaning to one's own life and inspires others. I was attracted to uh, the ideas of PTV and Topi, as I had already been a TG fan from the early 1980s and onwards. And in my life, there were parallel strains of um, music and culture as such, and the intellectual and quite often philosophically inclined environments that were referenced in both the music and lyrics and the records themselves in LP liner notes, booklets, adjoining fan scenes, etc. One thing led to another and then back again. A passionate interest in all things magical was awoken in me through these indulgences in curious references. And there were great, uh, many great contemporary soundtracks available for this kind of research via cool record stores even in my native Stockholm. In 1984, I started subscribing to information from Topi. This consisted of bulletins, newsletters, mail order information, um, and promotional material for both Topi and PTV. Uh, they were a kind of inseparable corpus or, or being filled with the signal of potential. PTV promoted Topi and vice versa. And there was also more distinct propaganda uh, and information about recommended magical techniques and literature. And of course, this was so highly ins inspiring for me, and I began experimenting with these magical uh, techniques as presented in the key Topi manual, uh, a book or a booklet called The Grey Book. I found that the pragmatism and mix of zeitgeistish existentialism, Crowley's Thelema, Spare's ecstatic hardcore magic, and the poetic life enhancement of the beat authors worked really well for me. And so I associated the inspiration and material itself with my own actual success in manifesting the, th the things and the changes that I needed in my life at the time. It was basically one wonderful synergetic resonance loop that created a strong imprint and in many ways it still does. In 1986 I went to London and interviewed Genesis for my music fanzine Lollipop. And that was a very inspiring moment of course that led on to my becoming more active within Topi. The interview had initially been focused on musical aspects but soon the talks we had about magic took over. It was also highly interesting for me to see how all of this functioned in real life, what kind of work actually lay behind the signal that was so inspiring to me. In their semi-detached and tiny house in Hackney in London, the Peorage family and many psychic youth produced and sent out uh, correspondence and information, attended to administrational chores, and just basically hung out and lived their day-to-day -day lives. And the people I met then were very friendly and as curious about me as I was about them. 
It was an enlightening glimpse into a loose collective in which everyone worked hard and with whatever needed to be done. And there was a lot. There was Temple Records, which released the music by Psychic TV and also many other artists, and Temple Press, which published relevant old minds like Crowley, Angus MacLeese, Gerald Malanga, Ira Cohen, as well as Topi-affiliated contemporaries like, of course, Peorage, but also Zev, Andrew McKenzie. I realized that although the overarching fuel and goal was the beautiful term that Genesis coined and within which we are gathered here today, or culture, the main energy was simply hard work and, if you will, bhakti yoga, devotion, the power of devotion to a cause. And that synced very well with my already existing and dominant workaholic tendencies. We developed some basic strategies together over the following years, to a great deal based on other local topi groups or access points, as they were called. And in 1988, I started Topi Scandinavia, or Topi Scan, perhaps as a subconscious wink of acknowledgement to the 1988 timeline of Barros' Wild Boys. And at this time, I already had insight into how Topi actually worked, and I was now also an active Topi member, in the sense that I was using the recommended sigilizing techniques regularly, becoming Eden 162. As sigilizing male members were given the names Eden, and sigilizing female members the name Kali. There were uh, a few other Topi members and sigilizers in uh, Sweden at the time, and I knew about most of them. And from this small core, we expanded into being in correspondence and business with people in Denmark, Finland and Norway. And we did the whole Topi thing. We produced writing, newsletters, music, videos, sold cassettes and other items for postage cash, started a record label, started the occultural fanzine, the Fenris Wolf, and made a point of actively networking, uh, not only with headquarters in London, but also with other Topi stations and access points all over the world. The Psychic TV uh, LP that I mentioned briefly, a real Swedish live show, is a good example of this cross-fertilization. It is a documentation of Psychic TV's 1984 concert in Stockholm, which a friend of mine had recorded on cassette. Topiscan released the album in 1989 with youthful and symptomatically anti-Christian liner notes by me. I quote, Pagan activities have never died, not anywhere, and today it's all coming back to you. A magical appreciation of history and life in the work for all people's common future. Theirs is a good definition of a free person, and that's one who is completely honest with her, himself, in every situation, and who's thereby working for the procreation of womankind. The honesty becomes the medium, the work is the goal itself." End quote. This album was officially number 16 of PTV's live documentation series, one album released on the 23rd of every month for 23 consecutive months, which actually led to a mention in the Guinness Book of World Records. This wasn't only exciting, but also a way of financing our local opera operations, as Genesis and Psychic TV had waived their royalties in favor of Topiscan's activities. Everything quickly grew, 
And we also used the, this momentum to organize lectures, concerts and film screenings, both in Sweden and abroad, including traveling in Europe with 16 millimeter prints of Anthony Balch's film collaborations with William Burroughs and Brian Geisen. And when the Topi Europe station in the Netherlands folded, I took over as I already had experience of how to run things. Sometimes it's true what they say. If you want something done, give it to someone who's already busy. And so now there were suddenly even more mailings and more administration to chew on. Parallel to this, I also started a company called Psychic Release to take everything to the next level. It was a publishing company as well as a record and video label, and we got off to a pretty good start. The first album that we released was the ambient and spoken word um, collaboration between the Peorages and my band White Stains called At Stockholm, released in 1990. Bookwise, we published Swedish and Norwegian uh, translations of the Grey Book and also uh, Crowley's Book of the Law. Plus facsimiles of the great Swedish scholar Sigurd Agrell's books on rune magic and Scandinavian esotericism, plus many, many, many other things. Lots of mail was sent out, outgoing, incoming, and information needed was often quite quickly provided in the form of Xeroxes, cassettes, and VHS videotapes from within this uh, expanding network. It was like being in a vortex of support and unlimited potential in which most of the time everything was also fulfilled. But it wasn't all about producing material that needed to be sent out in some kind of mechanical creativity. Uh, we also worked locally on a ritual level and welcomed other Topi members to visit, which they did. We had workshops with the Norwegian shaman Atre Sorensen and the percussive rhythm magic wizard Zev. And although the sigilizing was usually something done privately because of the sexual and intimate nature of the process, my girlfriend at the time, who was a Topi Kali, uh, and myself also experimented together with other Topi people to ritualize communal goals, for instance. Now, did this work or was it just for kicks? I would say so, meaning yes to both answers, both questions. And it was also a time of fun, traveling back and forth to the UK and uh, watching great gigs. This one I took at a spin-off project called Throbbing Grizzle uh, Limited in 1988. And this is what it looked like from the stage with Jan and Jordi Valls. And that's me taking the picture. And also this was very much fun. This is Dave Ball from Soft Cell and Jan, they were working on uh, many, many Acid House uh, tracks and projects. During 1990 to 1991, Genesis and Tom Banger, who ran the Topi North America station, and myself each had some sort of uh, overload breakdown. And almost in some kind of psychic sync, we got fed up with the increasing administration and having less and less time to fully indulge in the core activities, supposedly magic and creativity. In a letter dated May 31, 1991, Jen wrote to me, quote, When we resigned from Topi last October, we said that I wanted to return to serious work and exploration, a truly transmedia activation, something which could be more inclusive and loose, allowing collaborations, collaborators from all expressive systems and spiritual systems. 
I wanted to do more art, if you like, rather than be a resentful minor clerk for an illusion." End quote. And here, a period of slight confusion followed after we had each basically made parallel decisions to detach ourselves. And then it was over. Or was it? Let's just say that the first phase of a full decade of this kind of communal work was over. And although there were people who saw some kind of imaginary baton and ran with it, perhaps they still do. And however, though, many key people from this, what I call phase one, kept working together on both similar and dissimilar projects uh, throughout the decades. Jen and I produced two more, two more spoken word albums, made a documentary film. We worked on uh, the book Sacred Intent, uh, which was published shortly before Jen died in 2020. Other people from this first era of Topi also bloomed into great artists of their, in their own right. Current 93, Coil, people like us, and Cyclobe are just a few examples. Some individuals remained positive towards Topi, others did not. But I think it's safe to say that the initial inspiration and model for how to work within, a magical, within magic steeped in art, and vice versa, came from having been active in Topi uh, at some point. And in my own case, it's still very, very vibrant and, um, and relevant. Working on this book, Sacred Intent with Genesis, which is basically our recorded conversations between 1986 and 2019, uh, naturally brought back a lot of Topi-related thoughts, memories and feelings uh, in us both. We discussed what Topi had meant for us, and quite often if it still had any relevance, and we agreed um, that it did. And new generations certainly seemed and seem more interested than ever in what lies uh, behind you know, the iconic psychic cross. And there's currently an ambitious documentary about Topi being finished called Message from the Temple, and I think that is exactly an example of this recent uh, transgenerational interest. I reconvened with Tom Banger in 2019 at a conference that my wife and I organized in Italy as he was giving a talk together with the fellow Topi member Koshka about Topi North America campouts and rituals. It was highly interesting stuff that I vaguely remembered hearing about way back when and, and could now get a fuller insight into. It seems that the decades have allowed for the activities and documentation to mature in the dark of various private archives and memories. And Tom and Koshka's lecture has recently been published in, in uh, issue number nine, no, issue number 11 of the Fenris Wolf, that journal that began in 1989 as a distinct Topi fanzine. Now, this was a very condensed version of my own experiences of, uh, of Topi. And there's a lot more to be said, and I will cover some of that in a magical uh, autobiography of sorts, tentatively called Two Times Saturn, that will come out in early 2024. But for now, let's delve into some of the mechanics and into the zeitgeist to, to see how Topi could become as influential a group and order as it actually has. 
if we, we can look at this zooming both back and forth, in and out. And if we zoom back to some kind of bird's eye uh, perspective, there are definite traces from the male art movement that was and perhaps still is connected to a fluxus, fluxus art mentality. Uh, meaning that the uh, definitions of art itself are dissolved and can be, as it's usually called today, fluid. Anything can be art, uh, and on a real grassroots level, what we send to others as memes or messages, digital or not, uh, are works of art. Uh, if interpreted as such, it is up to the artist and partaker to evaluate and define. Working on, uh, sorry, uh, already in the pre-Throbbing Gristle performance group, Coombe Transmissions, Genesis actively networked with other uh, artists, curators, journalists, editors, etc., sending out massive amounts of letters, collages, stamped photographs, and many other things. And later on, with Industrial Records and Throbbing Gristle, it continued also in tandem with records and concerts. And of course, this wasn't a one-way communication. An amazing amount of mail was sent to Genesis and the other collaborators. So that foundation of intense and vital communications had been established already before punk and DIY, so to speak. The creation of unique artworks, such as handwritten poems, collages, drawings, paintings, and photographs, was part of the process, something that created a special bond between sender and receiver, sending something very personal off to somewhere you weren't really sure whether it would be received at all. But if it was, you would very likely get something very, very special in return. In this sense, mail art laid the foundation not only of the Topi network, but also of the psychology of sigilizing Topi style. Meaning that on the 23rd of each month, at 2300 hours, you sigilized in enhancement with your bodily fluids, blood, spit, and sexual fluids, in and or on your um, very own personal magical artwork, and then sent that off to a Topi station for safekeeping and egregore building. And what you got in return was a powerful magical development in general and a causal wish fulfillment in particular. This is not only a literally phenomenal example of trust in between individuals, but also the foundation of one of the most unique collections of art in the world, a collection of pure aestheticized desire, if you will. The mechanics of sigilizing according to its formulator, par préférence et excellence, Austin Osman Spare, requires actively forgetting uh, about the sigil or symbol in question, so that it can work its magic in other psychic realms uh, than the very counterproductive and usually self-critical rational one. What better way then than to send off your sigil to an archive of like expressions? In this zoomed-in perspective, the main thing is to ecstatically express, but to remain unaware of the specific of the recipient's views or feelings. Yet, it is still a two-way communication, simply because the sender is aware that the signal will be received, just not commented upon or valued with any traditional tools. We embrace this womb-like void with respect and wonder, instead of forcing us into it 
in desperation. The Topi sigillizing system is not emblematic of the classic uh, psychological horror vacui, uh, or as Ovid expressed it, ignoti nulla cupido, which means no one desires that which he doesn't know. But it's rather an active and hopefully arousing challenge to aesthetically express a private desire in total honesty and in a spirit of, pardon the pun, come what may. Perhaps this temporary contact with a void that we usually immediately fill with a need for an acknowledgement from another is actually the key to this magic's efficiency. For Spare, it certainly seems that way. He recommended immediate post-facto forgetfulness of whatever had been strategically constructed uh, before and leading up to the climax of the ritual. We send something out, that's it, that's that. No stopping, no pondering, just moving along and let the psychic powers of your own mind work its magic in the background, in the unconscious, in the subconscious, in the chaos sphere, or whatever you want to call it. Sigils weren't only produced in works on paper, as one might think. Thematically as well as technologically, the use of video and cut-ups was constantly present. Remember, PTV was at this time a video group that also made music. The name Psychic Television is undoubtedly symptomatic, indicating a technology that addresses and can affect inner spheres of the individual. Topicalis and Edens were encouraged to actively experiment with making videos and video cut-ups. And a Topi scan we certainly did, using everything we had access to, both in terms of connecting, very simply, two VHS machines together for direct editing, or quasi-arcane formats like Super 8 film. And to an increasing degree, making this our talismanic, charged with will, albeit not necessarily visibly so. In this zoomed-in perspective, the main thing is to ecstatically express, but to remain unaware of the specifics of the recipient's views or uh, feelings. Now I... <laughs> Sorry. This, the medium was at this time very much the message, to quote Marshall McLuhan. TV was omnipresent and greatly enhanced through technological developments that allowed for cable TV and satellite TV, both of course paving the way for the digital leviathan that would follow throughout the 1990s, the internet. In an interview from 1978 with Robin Grissel collaborator and journalist John Savage, another Topi inspiration, uh, British science fiction author J.G. Ballard, was more prescient than ever when talking about video and its possibly magical use. Quote, I think the same thing will happen, beginning with people endlessly photographing themselves, shaving, having dinner together, having domestic rows. Of course, the bedroom applications are obvious, but I think they'll go beyond that, to the point where each of us will be at the center of a sort of non-stop serial, with all kinds of possibilities let in. You may be able to splice in bits of Key Largo and Casablanca into the daily record of your life, to the point where you literally do become a character in a Humphrey Bogart movie." End quote. What else was going on at this time in the UK? If we disregard the almost mainstream presences stemming from the revived paganism of Murray, Gardner, Sanders and Wicca in general, and Crowley being filtered down through a gradually revived Caliphate OTO, a vital Typhonian OTO, thanks to the freestyle uh, syncretist Kenneth Grant, and the energized enthusiasm of self-defined offspring Amado Crowley, and his problematic relationships with his possible father. We find 
the IOT, or the Magical Pact of the Illuminates of Thanateros. The IOT is interesting here because it runs parallel in our space and timeline, budding out of London in the late 1970s uh, and properly forming or solidifying throughout the 1980s. The dissemination of their chaos magic through writings like Pete Carroll's Libernal and Psychonaut created a real impact, as well as the, their fanzine Chaos International, as well as the writings of other members such as Phil Hein, Lionel Snell, Dave Lee, Ray Sherwin, and Frater Ude, Ralph Techtmeyer. A doctrine of pragmatism, anti-authoritarianism, uh, and extreme individualism connected uh, to the very same zeitgeist as Topi did, with many of the same sources of inspiration. William Burroughs, of course, uh, would be a great example, and Austin Spare's work, uh, another. The actual acknowledgement of adopted ancestors was a central part of the construction of discourse. The references in themselves was a core message. Um, in many ways, it was a reconstructed 1980s way of paraphrasing Crowley's Gnostic Mass, in which he included um, a list of Gnostic saints, so-called. And I would argue that's as important uh, as the ritual's ecstatic moment and its elementary aftermath. In Topi, the names of Burroughs, Geisen, Spare, uh, Brian Jones, to name but a few, were so flaunted consciously that they seeped into the outside culture uh, as much or more as they had seeped into Topi from the um, uh, individual inspirations from, from uh, uh, quite a few people or actually from few, from few individuals. Topi became like a resonance box or an amplifier uh, of chosen memes and spirits and one that also kept evolving. More towards the end of phase one, Timothy Leary, for instance, and many others from the original 1960s psychedelic movement had been integrated and enhanced. In one of the uh, talismanic reference lists of Jen's books published in Research, uh, a special issue called Industrial Culture Handbook, there are many titles by Francis King, who was one of the most thorough British chroniclers of magic during the 20th century. Published in 1971, this one, his wonderful book, Sexuality, Magic and Perversion, is a useful overview of historical occurrences dealing with sex in magic and magic in sex. Uh, and this was a book that Jen had and studied. Crowley is, of course, prominently featured, but Austin Spare isn't even mentioned, quite strangely. This was, however, only 15 years after Spare died, um, and not much had been written about him. Um, and he got a quite a big resurgence when the uh, bookstore, The Sorcerer's Apprentice in Leeds, which was kind of a hub of the chaos magic environment, uh, published a collected works, which was very, very appreciated. Uh, this was also something highly symptomatic of the DIY zeitgeist, making something valuable, available, and in affordable form and promoting it to new audiences, and this time, for instance, enhanced with an introduction by Pete Carroll of the IoT. Today, as we know, basically everything Spare ever wrote is out there in nice editions, again, thanks to publishers like Fulgur and many others. Already in 1971, Francis King could envision a future of innovative sexual magic. Quote, I rather look forward to its occurrence, for while I have no doubt that such a movement will be 
inevitably accompanied by the same irritating pretentiousness that characterizes contemporary Zen Buddhism, I am sure that it will enable at least a few people to use sexuality as a means of transcending normal modes of consciousness." End quote. Um, Little did he know that only 10 years later, there would actually be a paramilitary occult organization that shared demystified magical techniques in an underground syncretism of 20th century sex magic, individualism, deconstruction, reconstruction, making hidden or forgotten people, expressions and myths available, de-occulting it in a way, or occulturating it, in a, uh, and a very active network of free-spirited people through which personal obsessions and kinks could be vented and respected in trust. A collaborative yet individualistic effort at creating art, magic, myth. A new existential language in a way that to me brings to mind Nietzsche talking about the power of art and myth as it, quote, constantly confuses the cells and the classification of concepts by setting up new translations, metaphors, metonyms. It constantly manifests the desire to shape the given world of the waking human being in ways which are just as multiform, irregular, inconsequential, incoherent, charming, and ever new as things are in the world of dreams." End quote. In the anarchic but not necessarily anarchistic attitudes of Topi, we find a healthy worldview. The world or the system or even big bad control itself is perhaps and after all not necessarily there to be toppled over or tor torn down in overheated reactivity, but rather to be critically looked at from different perspectives so that a more constructive side and agenda can be made visible. In this, we see kinship with many things that were going on at the time. A postmodern discourse, deconstruction, and quantum physics, to mention a few. Meaning, a new and critical approach to accepted givens within many fields that may no longer be the best and most useful. In this ambitious DIY case, uh, deconstructing of magic and culture within a larger context of human individual life in a society that seems designed solely to subjugate and then reconstructing the splinters or blocks into a vibrant and vital culture that is open-minded, proactive and life-enhancing. Basically, to deconstruct in order to reconstruct and not as a mind and pointless, whimsical academic pastime. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a lecture by Carl Abrahamson. For more, you can listen to other episodes of Rendering Unconscious podcast that have featured Carl. Just go to the drop-down menu on renderingunconscious.org that says episodes alphabetical by guest and you can find episodes of Carl's as well as all your favorite guests. You can follow Carl at YouTube on his YouTube channel, Carl Abrahamson 23. You can also find him at Carl Abrahamson at TikTok and Carl.Abrahamson at Instagram. You can also follow me at Instagram at rawsin underscore and at TikTok at Dr. Vanessa Sinclair 23. Huge thanks to Carl as always 
for providing the intro and outro music for Rendering Unconscious Podcast. You can visit his website, carlabrahamson.com, and sign up for his newsletter, and also find exclusive content there if you're a subscriber. We've also started a Substack for people who prefer that format. Substack is vanessa23carl at substack.com. And now the song, The Result, by White Stains, from the album Single-Minded Dualisms, available at highbrowlowlife.bandcamp.com, as well as Spotify, iTunes, and other streaming services. Enjoy. ourselves. So. 